Welcome, and thank you so much for joining me today for my very first episode of HEAL, short for Healing Experiences Aren't Linear. I am your host, Rebecca Terry, and I am incredibly excited to start this journey with you and share real stories of overcoming adversity. I fully believe that vulnerability creates connection, and that connection is something we all need in our lives. I have been talking about starting this podcast for the last three years, and I'm finally choosing to overcome my fear of failure. Special shout out to my sister, MJ, for helping me come up with the title for this podcast, and it fits perfectly. Healing does not happen once in our lives, and then we are fixed. Our healing journey is a continuous path, a lifelong lesson that will reveal itself over and over and over until we learn to choose a different route. It's okay not to have all the answers, and it's okay to make the same mistakes over and over. Eventually, you will want something else, and in order to create change, you will recognize your old patterns will not get you there. Today, I will share my struggle with alcohol and how I overcame that obstacle and continue to overcome. Let's get started. The first time I got drunk, I was 14 years old. I was at a high school graduation party. What was I doing at a graduation party at 14, you might ask? I have no idea. But there I was drinking shots of cheap whiskey and asking the school's basketball star how many shots it would take for me to get drunk. This night was the first of many drunken nights and began my roller coaster ride with alcohol. When I drank, I could feel my problems slipping away. I didn't have to face my feelings or myself and could simply be lost in the moment. Drinking was my escape from reality. I never really had a limit. I would drink until I couldn't drink anymore. It was so normalized in high school that if you didn't drink, people would take it personally. The peer pressure to be like everyone else was too much to bear for a people pleaser like me. I wanted desperately to fit in, to belong. I wanted that my entire life, and as someone who was homeschooled for the first 11 years, I felt like I had to prove that I was normal and not the weird, stereotypical homeschooler. My life was, at that time, pretty volatile. My parents were going through a nasty separation, and my sisters and I were split up. I don't remember seeing much of my younger sister and mom from the ages of 15 to 18. My older sister got pregnant at 17 and moved out with her boyfriend, who became her husband at 18. It was just my dad and I, and he was not in a healthy mental state at the time. He was also working nights and I was just throwing parties at the house. When he was home, he was sleeping. And when he would wake up, I would leave. I had so many emotions that I didn't understand or even know what I was feeling. I numbed myself to avoid feeling sad or angry or confused. When I was 18, I joined the military, not because it was something I had dreamed of doing or even contemplated at any point in my life, but because I hit rock bottom, or so I thought, and needed a way out. I wanted a fresh start away from my miserable existence, and I could create a new persona wherever I went. My first duty station was Lemoore, California. Lemoore is close to Fresno, and needless to say, not the picture of California I had envisioned in my mind. I was young naive, lonely, and desperate to be seen. My very first day at my new duty station, 
I met a guy and was instantly invited to drink with him in his barracks room. In fact, I had several guy friends that I drank with in the month before I left on deployment. I remember the first week I was drinking with these quote-unquote friends and someone knocked on the door of the barracks room. My friend told me it was the MAs, who are the military police, and to hide in the bathroom since I was underage and could get in a lot of trouble for drinking. I was terrified. I had just gotten out of boot camp and still had the fear of God instilled in me. I did not want to get kicked out and go back to Colorado. The MAs came in and told me to come out of the bathroom. They sat me down on a chair in the middle of a small dorm-like room and started questioning me. I wanted to pee my pants. At one point, they even handcuffed me and told me they were taking me to the brig, military jail, for underage drinking. Right when I was about to lose control and start crying, they all started laughing. Apparently, they could care less that I was drinking and it was all a big prank. I was so grateful I wasn't in trouble. I didn't even get upset. On deployment about a month later, I worked over 12-hour days, seven days a week. I was sleep-deprived, depressed, and homesick. It is probably as close to prison as I've ever been. Every month, we would pull into a location and have one day off the ship to explore and let loose. I know now why the term drunken sailor was invented. All of these ports are nothing but bars and clubs. The first thing we would do is find a gas station and buy shooters, and then when the bars and clubs opened, we would drink even more. The entire day was spent getting wasted. I try not to have many regrets in my life, but sometimes I do wish I would have actually chosen a different experience while in port. I specifically remember blacking out in Guam and coming to in the ocean. I was treading water, so I was out fairly deep, and I'm thankful that I came to before I swept out to sea. I got lost in Singapore and was walking around in Chinatown, drunk and desperate to find my way back to the ship. I ended up with one shoe and have no clue what happened to its partner. Our third port was Bahrain. At the time, it was not a great place to be, especially for women. My friend and I left the base to get a hotel with two of our guy friends. The guys went to the store to get a bottle of alcohol, and we were forcibly removed from the hotel by the staff. I remember them banging on the door and grabbing us by our arms and telling us we had to leave. Allegedly, we were taking away from their business of sending prostitutes to the rooms. It was pretty scary to be 19 in a foreign country surrounded by men who looked like they wanted to kill you. We went back on base at that point, and I proceeded to get as drunk as possible. I succeeded and ultimately ended up slapping a fellow shipmate and being dragged back to the aircraft carrier kicking and screaming. I had to go to captain's mass, which is the equivalent of going to court for initial appearance in the military, for that incident and was sentenced to 45 days restriction and extra duty. That meant I had to assemble three times a day with everyone else who had gotten in trouble, wear a red ID card around my neck, kind of like a scarlet letter, and I wasn't allowed to get off the ship for 45 days. The worst part was that they waited to sentence me until right before we pulled into Dubai. So I wasn't able to get off the ship then or the next time we pulled into Dubai. I tell people I've been to Dubai twice but never stepped foot on the land. I was ordered to work in the galley serving food and washing dishes for three months. I didn't see the sun that entire time. I was a shell of myself just going through the motions trying to survive. When I finally got back to California, the transition was intense to say the least. 
I was really angry and hurt because I felt like everyone back home had forgotten about me, besides my older sister who wrote me religiously while I was on deployment. I felt so isolated and lost. I had started to date a friend of mine at that time, and he went to LA to visit family for the weekend. I remember him telling me, don't drink with my friends. I knew his friends were not quote unquote good people. I had seen and heard many things and I knew what they were like. However, I was so lonely and had no real friends, so I drank with them despite my boyfriend's warning. I was so drunk, my roommate's boyfriend had to carry me back to the room because I couldn't walk. He was the first person to rape me that night. Once he was done and I was passed out, he told the group what happened. Two other people came to my room, which wasn't locked because I was out cold, came in and raped me while I was unconscious. I figured out what happened the next day by piecing evidence together and word of mouth. I was devastated. I called my sister and maybe my dad and just cried and cried. I wanted to die. I had to face these people every single day. When I would walk by them, they would laugh and talk about me. I tried to unalive myself after I told my boyfriend and he didn't believe me and said, I told you not to drink with them. He bandaged my wrist and never told anyone what I had done. I had to pretend like nothing had ever happened. I knew if I reported it, I would be in trouble for drinking and probably kicked out of the military. I also knew how they demonized women who reported these types of issues and I wasn't brave enough to go through that. A few months later, I got pregnant by my boyfriend And I still believe to this day that my son saved my life. I finally felt like I had purpose, like I was here for a reason. I obviously quit drinking, and that was the longest I had been sober since I started drinking five years prior. I remember getting really drunk the first time I drank after having my son. I was so sick the next day, I was certain I had alcohol poisoning. I didn't drink again for a long time. I got orders to Italy and married my son's dad just so he could come with us. Looking back, I should have been brave enough to go with just my son and I, but I wasn't. That marriage only lasted like 11 months, and I ended up sending him back to the States. He had gotten out of the military when I was pregnant. He had a drinking problem that made mine look non-existent. I started drinking again, but was very high-functioning. I began a bit of a single mom's club, and a bunch of women would come over with their kids, and we would cook dinner, drink several bottles of wine together. The weekends, I would get a babysitter and go to the clubs. I got in trouble for being overly wasted at the bowling alley on base and was told by my chief that I wasn't allowed to go there anymore. I was 22 at this time and having the time of my life, or so I thought. What I was really doing was blocking out the trauma I had experienced throughout my life and numbing myself. After a few years in Italy, I got orders to Key West, Florida the perfect place to be an alcoholic because no one would judge you for that kind of behavior in a place where people vacation and drink all day. I tried to set limits for myself, only two drinks tonight or I'm not getting drunk tonight, and I would never stick to any of those boundaries. I almost got trafficked one night when this guy I knew picked me up and carried me off of Duval Street and behind some houses where he tried to sell me to other men. I cannot make this stuff up. I vaguely remember running behind the houses and eventually finding my way back to Duval, where I sat in front of a store and cried. An old friend found me and gave me a ride home. 
I got a long message the next day from him saying he was disappointed that someone as beautiful as me inside and out was allowing alcohol to destroy me in so many words. I was angry at him, but mostly because I knew he was right. I met my daughter's father at the club and ended up getting married and having two girls with him. I got out of the Navy when I was pregnant with our first daughter and moved to Central Florida to go to college. I don't think I was drinking at all at that time. I went through spurts like that where I really didn't want to go down that rabbit hole. We moved to Colorado so I could be around family and go to college and grad school while I was out there. I was focused on my family at that time and really wanted to make my marriage work. I would drink here and there, but was focused on being healthy and being the best mom and wife that I could be. Regardless, our marriage went downhill, and after almost seven years of fighting and toxicity, we were at our breaking point. I received a job offer in Tallahassee, Florida, and accepted. My husband at the time said he wanted to work things out and moved with the kids and I back to Florida. He left only three days after we arrived to go live with his brother in Jacksonville. I felt abandoned in a new city, learning a new job, and figuring out how to be a single mom with three kids now. My youngest was almost a year old, my middle child was five, and my son was 12. I knew I was not in the right mental state to drink at that time. I was so incredibly depressed that I couldn't even listen to music for months. I had to stay focused on healing and learning how to love myself. That's how my journey began. I was 32 years old, divorced times two, and raising three kids on my own. I started listening to podcasts and realized how much healing could take place when you understand that you are not alone. I didn't date for two years. I knew I wasn't ready, and I wanted to be a better human being before I brought someone else into my life. I got a promotion in Houston, Texas, a year and a half after arriving in Tallahassee, and moved the kids and I to another city to start over once again. From the outside looking in, I didn't have a drinking problem. I could drink a couple glasses of wine and not need more. However, my social anxiety had gotten so severe after the incident in California that I used alcohol as a crutch to go to any social events, including dates. I remember getting so wasted on one of my first dates that my date got me a hotel room because I was sick. Annie was a police officer, perfect gentleman. Needless to say, we didn't talk much after that. My story in this chapter of my life was one of growth learning lessons, and self-love. The last night I ever drank, I went to a friend's singles event. I was extremely anxious to be around all of these people in that type of environment, so I started pre-gaming with my sister's friend who was in town visiting. She was with four guys, one of which my sister was also friends with. I felt comfortable around them because they knew my sister and I thought it was a safe place. The last thing I remember from that night was walking into a club and then nothing, not a flashback, not the apparent Uber ride I must have taken to get to my sister's friend's Airbnb, not me unable to stand passing out in the section, what a friend of mine told me happened in the days to follow. All I know is that I woke up in bed with my sister's friend, someone I never would have voluntarily left with or ended up with. I had mascara streaked down my entire face as if I had been crying all night. I was trying to get my bearings, but the room was spinning. I had no purse, no phone, no money, no car keys. I was stuck. I had been taken advantage of once again, but this time I wasn't 19. 
I was a 35-year-old woman with three kids, and I was so angry at myself for ending up in this situation again. One of my friends had allegedly been looking for me all night, and she said his friends would not tell her where I was. By the time she found me, it was the next morning, and she brought my purse with all of my belongings where I had left them at the club. I wanted to leave as soon as she arrived, but I was not sober enough to drive. At some point, though, I didn't care. I had to get out of there. I stumbled out of the house as quickly as I could and somehow made it home. I ended up calling an ambulance at 3 p.m. that day. I had never been that sick in my entire life. I could not put my thoughts together enough to make sense of anything. My mind was racing and I thought I was losing it. I asked for a blood test to see if I had been drugged, but they could not detect anything. I did not tell them about being taken advantage of because I did not want to press charges and go through a lengthy court process in which they would inevitably tear me apart and make me out to be the one to blame. I did tell my gynecologist later that week in between sobs. She tried to convince me to report it, but I couldn't. I told God at the hospital, if you let me live through this, I promise I will never drink again. A promise I have made several times before in my life, but this time I just knew it was different. I envisioned dying with my head on a toilet seat, dry heaving because I had nothing left to throw up, and I could not go out like that. My kids deserved better, and I deserved better. My therapist calls this transformation I made post-traumatic growth. I never wanted to drink again. Almost felt like I had been hypnotized. Alcohol made me feel sick even thinking about it, physically, mentally, emotionally, and I had no desire to ever go back down that path. I realized the benefits of drinking for me were non-existent and the consequences were so much worse. I am grateful to say I am almost two years alcohol-free and am working on living my best life. I am joyful, I feel free, and no longer chained to a substance that controlled my actions and my emotions. I am still learning how to be in a social setting without my crutch. I have had a few panic attacks since and realized that parties just might not be for me and that's okay. I am growing every single day and I know that my experiences have only made me stronger. I hope that by sharing my story, more people will feel brave enough to step away from whatever their addiction or crutch might be and learn how to cope in a healthy way. I want to create a safe space for people to talk about their traumas and their experiences in a way that is therapeutic and can help others know that they are not alone. Nobody is. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. I know this was pretty deep for a first episode, but I wanted to start with my biggest struggle first because how can I expect others to be vulnerable and honest with me if I can't start the process myself? So thank you again and Never forget that you are special, you are loved, and you are enough. Thank you.